Recorded live. Good morning and welcome to Mrs. Cardiology, Heart Tips, Not Tricks. And today we have a special treat for you. Uh, Mrs. Cardiology, uh, you know, has has followed her husband around, listened to what he has to say, uh, and the things that you can't hear in the office because the cardiologist has a minimum time with you. And she has covered lots of other topics like nutrition, things like that. Today, the inspiration for Mrs. Cardiology, Mr. Cardiology is on the show, Dr. Santosh Pandit. I'm sorry I had to say that, Dr. Pandit. He's the inspiration for the Mrs. Cardiology show. And uh, the uh, the wife of Sunita Pandit, uh, who is his uh, also practice manager. And so here she is, Mrs. Cardiology herself, Sunita Pandit. Hey, good morning, Joanne. How are you today? I am blessed and highly favored, super fantastic. Thank you for asking. That's because you're talking to your doctor. It's not because you're talking to me. No, I would say that no matter what. <laughs> hey, um, he has that effect on people. People talk to him and they feel a lot better um, because he answers questions. And um, he's kept that skill set very polished and up-to-date all the time with his patients. So. I thought it would be a great idea to have him come on, um, as you suggested, to talk about common tests that he um, prescribes to his patients. And uh, as we were reviewing, you discovered that you had a misunderstanding about one or two, and you know a lot more than most people do. And um, so I thought it would be great to uh, have him review testing done or recommended by a cardiologist, um, or and, and some of these tests are things that um, a PCP or your internal medicine doctor, your family doctor might recommend also. Um, but these are specifically uh, targeting the care of your and health of your um, heart, trying to understand what's going on. So this morning he is off this weekend, so he's relaxing, and I said, "Oh, you got to put you to work today." So. He graciously agreed because he's a nice guy. And um, Joanne, I know you will have some questions along the way for him also. And I'm going to have him take over and talk about, um, you're going to start talking about the non-invasive. and the, You have two categories, basically, invasive and non-invasive. And as a, as a practice manager on the non-medical side, because I'm not a medical doctor myself, the simple difference between invasive and a non-invasive is non-invasive is where the doctors, uh, the test is something that doesn't poke you. And invasive is where they have to poke you. Does that make sense, Joanne? No, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm, that's in favor, I'm in favor of not getting poked, having been poked a lot recently. Right. It's a lot nicer <laughs> when it's not poked. But the, the reason you get poked is because sometimes the non-poking test doesn't give you a clear picture. That's going to be a new terminology we have to add to my glossary in, on MrsCardiology.com. The poking and not poking test. Okay, that's that's yeah. a, your your husband's probably just shaking his head in the background. <laughs> He's here. giggling on the side here. <laughs> so go ahead, Doctor Pandit. Tell us all about non-invasive versus invasive testing. Hello, everybody. Uh, uh, as they mentioned, there are two types of uh, testing for the heart conditions. And 
the doctor who is uh, caring for you usually decide which test is appropriate and indicated based on your medical or clinical condition. So there are different kind of tests, but not everybody needs it. Uh, again, uh, the doctor who is handling your condition will have to decide which test to use. Uh, as they said, there are two types of tests, uh, the non-invasive, which is uh, usually commonly started, and unless you are in an emergency situation where the non-invasive test is uh, not indicated or you need a more aggressive approach, but in most of the cases, uh, an outpatient basis, uh, non-invasive testing is started. Uh, there are different kinds of tests. Uh, the commonly done test is called electrocardiogram or ECG, uh, which records the electrical activity of the heartbeats. Uh, it's commonly done in the office setup or uh, emergency room setup or any in a hospital-based. Uh, it's, it's just to uh, record the heart beating uh, at that time when you, the ECG is being done. So it's a brief test. It what it tells you is the heart is beating irregularly or irregularly, uh, such as patients having uh, palpitations or atrial fibrillation, that can be diagnosed right away on the monitor. Mm, and this also used with somebody having a chest pain just to diagnose whether that means a heart attack, because that shows up on the cardiogram right away. Uh, it also used during the stress test to see if there a blockage building up that changes the electrocardiogram. In some cases, they use to evaluate your pacemaker function. So those are the commonly uh, indication in the office and hospital-based where they're looking for irregular heartbeats, uh, palpitations, uh, any arrhythmia, as they call, and as well as the heart attack situations. Uh, the extension of this uh, ECG is called a Holter monitor, uh, which is nothing but a recording your heartbeat uh, by like a tape recorder or gadget, uh, which can be used up to 24 to 48 hours straight. So the, the electrodes uh, are attached to your heart, uh, and then you can record the heartbeats. And that will give you extended period of time when somebody has the symptoms of uh, irregular heartbeats uh, for uh, for at home uh, as well as they are for a long time where they cannot be uh, recorded during the office visit. So that's the commonly done test. And uh, Joanne, you have any questions about this test before we go to next test? No, I I think I'm good on this part. This part is okay. So the next test, uh, test commonly ordered uh, by the doctor is called a stress test, uh, which is commonly used called an exercise stress test uh, or a, a another called imaging stress, stress test. What it means here is used to assess the circulation uh, or the blockages which can cause a heart attack or angina. So it assesses the circulation part of the heart muscle. Uh, commonly used when patients in the appropriate age group and risk factors have symptoms of what they call chest pain, which is a doctor suspects a blockage uh, or a, that if there is a blockage which can end up, if not treated properly or early, end up in a heart attack situations. So 
the doctor orders a stress test, and as I said, there are different kinds of stress tests. The simple one is called regular stress test, where the, the, the doctor orders a stress test, you're going to treadmill, and your heart rate, the blood pressure, and the ECG is monitored during the exercise, and that gives the doctor idea whether there is a blockage or the heart circulation problem with the heart muscle by looking at your all the information from the stress test. However, this test being only regular stress test many times is not accurate in the sense does not give you the higher chance of finding the blockage. And therefore, in many cases, I will say almost like close to 75% of the time, uh, again, based on your condition, doctor may order call image, imaging along with the stress test. When I say imaging, there are two types of imaging done. One is called nuclear stress test, where a nuclear uh, isotope is injected uh, before and during the stress test to take pictures of the heart muscle. That tells the heart muscle is getting enough blood supply uh, during the stress test. Now, there's a question here. I remember when I had this, it was for 2009, uh, that I had a stress test. It has something to do when they talk to you about it with the normal range mm-hmm. as opposed to, so what's the normal range for someone so that people can be more educated? Normal range, doctor, looking for you to perform a stress test to be close to accurate or give enough information is called 85% of the target heart rate for that age group. So 85% for that age group. Age group. So each person. Now that's the age. demographic is age. It has nothing to do with age. weight or anything else. No, it's all it's age. age. So if you have a certain age, then you calculate the number, and the, they have number set for you. Uh, if that you achieve 85%, the test is adequate. If you don't achieve that 85% of the exercise, then it, the test may not be accurate or useful to come to conclusion. In that case, they may have to change, and in many cases, they will change it to, if they have a nuclear test, they can change to a chemical one where you don't need to uh, achieve that heart rate. So there is an option of changing the test at the time during the procedure itself. I remember specifically when I had my test, they told me that my rate was at 49 and a normal rate was 50, mm-hmm. uh, and they of course, that's when they said the only way that we can know for sure if you have any blockages is, is, is to do a catheterization. So or they can do a chemical stress test. That's the reason uh, the chemical stress tests are ordered. If you do not achieve the heart rate uh, or if somebody has a limitation going on the treadmill, suppose somebody has a back problem or have a stroke issues or their arthritis or muscle weakness, or if they just then, get chest pains when they're on there. I know some people, that's happened to some people, right? Yeah, I mean, chest pain is thing, uh, but if you're looking for chest pain alone, then that's enough But uh, by itself to diagnose it. But if you need an accurate test, then they may inject the chemical that will do the job of exercise. So there are limitations that people physically uh, cannot do perform the stress tests from physical limitations then the chemical stress tests come into play where they, you don't have to achieve the target heart rate, which is set before the treadmill. So the chemical test is used uh, where you inject the chemical that does the work for the treadmill portion. 
And that's a contrast dye like they use in some No, that's this a chem it's a it's a different kind of it's a vaso it's a vasodilator, it's not a contrast, it's not a, oh, a iodine based. There is no iodine involved in the, any of the stress test. So people who are allergic to iodine can have a safely have the stress test of any kind. So the stress test, uh, if you add the nuclear portion, that adds the more accuracy to the stress test. And that's about, if you're talking about a regular stress test, you're adding about accuracy about 60, 65%. You're adding about 85 to 90% time that you get more accurate result by adding a imaging with the stress test. And in most of the cases, it's called nuclear stress test. Where uh, isotopy now, why doesn't why don't people just automatic why don't uh, cardiologists don't just automatically then order that test? Is there a reason? Two reasons. One, if you have a low risk of having a heart problem, and if you do a, a very well regular stress test, you don't need to have the nuclear stress test for two reasons. One, the nuclear you have some radiation exposure by the nuclear stress test. It's a nuclear material that has been injected in your body which has some uh, side effects on the long run, not the short term, because you add up all the radiation in the body. Secondly, the cost of the test goes up at least by double, if not more. Oh. So because it requires uh, the imaging, the, the isotope, uh, it's like a CAT scan kind of situation where you have to go under the camera twice. Uh, so the personal cost goes up. So you're adding the cost to the test. So for two reasons, if you if you don't need it, uh, and that again, doctors will decide. Your doctor should know which one to order which test, you know, for accuracy purpose. Obviously, if the regular stress test is questionable or uh, non-diagnostic, then your doctor may order another uh, the, uh, the imaging test again after the regular stress test to get more accurate information. So the question is appropriate, yeah, why are not order everybody, but the, the, the cost and the side effects to some extent, not emergently, but the radiation exposure is there. So we talked about the stress test. Sunita, where are you on this? Then the other test we order commonly is called a echocardiogram, which is the sonogram of the heart which is the sound waves taking pictures of the heart, usually uh, recommended for to evaluate any structural heart disease, means the muscle uh, function of the heart. Is there a damage, weakness of the heart muscle by a previous heart attack or by damaging the heart from various medical conditions or enlarged heart, congestive heart failure situation? I'm sure that people want to know this, because I, I think people get confused difference between an EKG and an echocardiogram? The EKG, as we said, is electrical uh, activity of the heart. It just tells you the electrical function. Wait, before you go on, mm -hmm. people need to understand that there is electricity in our body. I don't think they, that a lot of people know that. Is it my right, Joanne? Right. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing, bottom line, baseline, that um, most doctors want to know is the EKG normal. And that means that is there a, a, there's a certain rhythm that happens in your heart to keep it functioning correctly. 
and that is your baseline test of saying that, okay, things are okay. If your EKG is slightly off kilter, that's the first line of defense to say, wait, we've got to find out more. So it's a cheap test. It doesn't take anything. Uh, it takes, what, 10 minutes, Santosh, to do? Um, so it's a very baseline, cheap test. I mean, they're even doing it on high school kids to make sure that, you know, you've heard of so many kids having trouble when they're playing sports. Athletes. First line of defense is to do an EKG. Did I say that correctly, Dr. Pandit? Yes. Okay. It's a simple test. does not hurt the patient. Uh, it just gives the baseline of the heart. It's like a heartbeat, how your heart is beating, like your pulse rate that you see. That's what it is. It tells you from inside how the heart is beating. But you get better, more extensive information from the echocardiogram. Yeah. Well, it tells you the actually how you can see the heart muscle. It shows pictures. It shows yeah, pictures. It's, it's more, that's more sort of structure and function. That well, doesn't have to do with the electricity in the heart. If you if you remember the structure of the heart being um, upper and lower and the pumping of the pumping action has to go through to get it into your arteries, there's there's structure there that has to function correctly. The pumping action going on is measured in a percentage of or amount of blood that gets pushed through. So all those things that they're measuring, they're measuring the size of the heart, they're measuring how well it's pumping. All of those measurements have to happen in physical activity going on. That's what the echocardiogram does. So the echocardiogram is the physical functionality, and EKG is measuring electricity and whether your rhythm is good. Does that help, Joanne? I I, I know that, that people get confused about this, so that's why I just wanted to... Right, because the names are so similar. Mm -hmm. And also there's another level of confusion because an EKG is also called or called an ECG. And just, I, I did flabbergasted and I looked at my husband and I said, okay, you guys are confusing enough. Then you come up with funky names and they all sound the same. How do you keep it straight? Okay, so so, no. so the echocardiogram is a sonogram which requires more technical things. You need a uh, machine. Uh, a sonogram is a sound wave machine. Again, it's not a toxic to your body or there's no poking involved. It's the gel applied to your chest wall uh, to get a good uh, imaging or good pictures of the heart without any air bubble in between the you and the chest wall and the, and the machine itself. And that gives you the uh, pictures of the heart, how it is functioning, actually beating inside your chest without opening the chest. Uh, it's, uh, you can go as close to the heart in live form without doing anything, uh, like injecting or opening the chest, and you can see the heart working. Just like a baby, you can see uh, when you do the sonogram of the babies uh, on a pregnant woman. Uh, so the heart is seen in motion. Uh, with the muscle pumping the heart, um, blood uh, going through various valves, the two on the left and two on the right side of the heart, uh, so that can assess the heart valve function, are they damaged, are they leaking, narrowing, and that happens with heart conditions in some people. Uh, secondly, uh, thirdly, it also tells you about any uh, in a younger population, especially the uh, birth defects, like a hole in the heart that is commonly mentioned that can be seen by this test. Uh, and then when he decided whether that needs further treatment. Uh, 
Also, it tells you about the lining of the heart muscle called pericardium, just like a pleurisy. Like they, people get pericarditis, which is a pleurisy of the heart, and cause some swelling uh, around the heart in the fluid building. So there are different uh, structures of the heart. You can see the muscle part, the valve part, any defect of the heart uh, from birth, any lining defect uh, developing. Uh, some medical conditions that affect the heart can be seen also. So I think the echocardiogram, if I had to put a finger, I think the echocardiogram is a very easy, very uh, non-toxic test that tells you a lot about your heart in one shot, if you want to call it. Yeah, so, but something non-invasive gives you a lot of information. A lot of information about your heart right away in a in few minutes. And doctors, and then that can be followed over a period of time if there is a medical condition that affects any of the structures of the heart. Then the doctor usually orders it, depends on condition, any, every three months, six months, yearly, depends again the uh, severity of the issue or problem and then follow through and make sure that the the condition is stable or getting worse, and then decide uh, what to do about it. Uh, so these tests uh, are the common tests that we talk, the ECG, the monitoring the heart, heart at home, heart monitor, the stress test, uh, and the echocardiogram. Uh, they the all require different kind of equipment. Uh, many of them are available out. I mean, in the doctor's office, some of them has to go to the hospital or a lab they have because you need a personnel to to do this test, appropriate personnel. Uh, they have safety issues, especially the nuclear material, the imaging to go with it, and the, uh, so depends on the setup. It can be done in any various ways uh, in a doctor's office versus hospital setup. Uh, and main, most of the time it has to be scheduled because it takes time between anywhere between depends on the test obviously the sonogram takes about half an hour to one hour whereas a nuclear or a stress test takes maybe an hour to four hours depends on the what kind of test you're doing so it has to be scheduled appropriately on a on a given patient and given place so the doctors just cannot order okay do it now and everything is set Okay, now, have we covered the invasive testing? No, we, we, we have, there are other non-invasive testing which are rare, just to mention on the list if somebody has had gone through this. CAT scan of the heart or a CT scan, they call it, with or without, again, a dye, which is uh, the angiogram, and then MRI of the heart or the magnetic resonance. Uh, those other non-invasive testing are used in selected patients, not commonly. Uh, again, uh, usually they're done after these basic tests are done, like we said, the stress test and echo, if that, dis uh, recommend, that decides that this patient needs more testing, then the CT scan or the MRI scan of the heart is recommended. Again, the cost goes up, so they are not routinely done. And there are some blood tests, for instance, if you go to the emergency room, there's some blood tests to get the condermic endurance. Yeah, the blood tests are right? yeah, usually in an emergency situation, like somebody goes to the hospital or an emergency room or urgent care centers, they do blood work to exclude. Usually they're looking for a heart attack, and they call uh, troponin levels, which is a chemical uh, uh, which is uh, when the damaged heart muscle uh, uh, causes elevation of those troponin levels. 
and that's usually an indication of a heart attack. Uh, but again, you had a proper uh, indication or setup to really do those tests. Not everybody gets it unless a patient goes to the emergency with specific symptoms of a heart attack when the blood work is done. Uh, but besides that, uh, routine blood work uh, for the heart condition is usually done. It's called lipid profile or the cholesterol level. Uh, that's usually done to check your cholesterol level. Again, that's more of a standard operation to assess your risk factors, not to diagnose anything specific, but just to assess your risk of having a blockage. And the last thing, as we said to you, is the angiogram uh, or the invasive testing where uh, a catheter is introduced in the body, uh, usually done under local anesthetic, uh, numbing medications and some sedation. And then that is placed into the around the heart or inside the arteries of the heart. And then the dye, which is what we talked before, a iodine-based uh, uh, dye is injected with a syringe from outside by the physician and then recorded in live form to take pictures of the uh, arteries of the heart. That tells the doctor about any blockages building up, the location of the blockage, the percentage of the blockage, uh, and that doctor will decide whether that person that further how to manage that blockage, whether treat with medications, put a balloon or a stent, or recommend a bypass surgery. Again, all depends on the test results. Each person is different. So, uh, so basically, this test, angiogram or catheter test, is is the to see uh, the blockages uh, around the heart. Uh, which is uh, supplying the muscle of the heart and decide whether that is causing the symptoms of your chest pain uh, or a heart attack and then how to manage those blockages. So that's usually the test commonly used for those conditions. Do you have any other questions, Joanne? Uh, I, I know that um, just my personal experience so that you you know, I, I, I'm i a student of this stuff. I just make sure so I can be an advocate. And uh, interestingly enough, I haven't had a doctor yet tell me that I ask bad questions. Um, and I think that doctors, I, I, I want their patients to be partners with them in their health. It just makes things a lot easier. I remember going in 2009 from my PCP's office in an ambulance because I had gone there because I had some... I. The night before, I had some chest pain, so they took an EKG, and it said supposedly they thought that I had a heart attack. They called the ambulance. They said, well, the good news is you haven't had a heart attack. Bad news is state law says once you have these symptoms, we have to take you to the emergency room. So go to the emergency room. Again, they did a little bit of testing. They said, okay, the good news is you didn't have a heart attack. The bad news is you were here in 2001, and there are some changes in your heart since 2001. We'd like to invite you to spend the night and get a cat, you know, and have a stress test. Um, so that's how I found out that I needed. I didn't have a heart attack. That's how I knew, found out that I needed quadruple bypass surgery. So um, I just like to tell people, especially women, need to pay attention to their health. Oh, absolutely. Need absolutely. To pay and then, and and women are the last to take care of their health because they think they're too busy taking care of everybody else, but. If you don't take care of your own health, if you're not able to function, 
You're not able to take care of everybody else. So what good is that? And you have to make your health a priority afterwards. And I just like to say, you know, when I had, um, and, and Dr. Pandit knows this, um, when I had the uh, valve replacement recently, I had a heart surgery to replace the valve. One of the things they did was a catheterization to make sure my old bypasses were working. And all of them were clear except for one, which is 30%, which is on the inside and not on the walls, um, was explained to me that that may, that may be reversible. Um, but the point was that after six years, because I changed my lifestyle, those blockages stayed open. I mean, those, those, those that, that bypass the state open, which... So you have personal proof on lifestyle changes do work. Absolutely. And I mean, I, there's a lot of proof out there, but when it hits home, it makes a big difference. But you've got to make your health a priority. Absolutely. You really do it. And, and I could have done more, but even what I did, changing the way I ate, limiting yeah, stress it, from it, my life. It, it's something that I've, I've um, had a big concern about in our medical uh, care is that we're not checking to see what people are eating and literally if they're pooping okay on, on a regular basis or not. And that's the biggest drawback. And when I asked my husband about that, his response was, well, that's the PCP's job. And I said, but let's have a baseline that all doctors should ask their patients. It's a standard question everybody should be asking. It's not that you have to treat it, but you have to ask and make them aware that that's an issue, you need to go take care of it. Would you agree with me on that? Yes. It's a matter of just including that into the initial uh, questioning that they do of the patient to see how they're doing. We talk about this all the time. I have to ask you this question, Dr. Pandit. Would Mm -hmm. you rather have someone that would come in and talk to you and just blindly follow whatever you tell them to do, or would you rather have a patient who asks you educated questions because you know that they're going to follow your instructions. Obviously, uh, every doctor will prefer an educated patient so he can, he, he can understand and then follow through uh, properly and that way can conversation uh, is, is, uh, is meaningful. Uh, so, yes, anybody uh, who has appropriate questions and doctors are more than willing to talk about it and then you get a better care if you look into what's going on and why this test versus why not the other one or what's the indication for managing each individual indifferently. That's because we talk about it all the time, that you have to be educated, you have to be an advocate mm-hmm. for your own health. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it's it's, it's a strange, and I, I remember that years ago when I was a young kid um, with a doctor, Dr. Peters, he was, they didn't call them um, um, internists, and they called them general practitioners. And uh, he was a smart guy. And we would come, and my mother would take me to the doctor's and say, Mary, what, you know, what's going on? And then he would look at me, and I was young the first time this ever happened. I was probably 10 or 12. And uh, he said to me, he said, Joanne, what's going on? Mary said, my mom says, I already told you. He said, you know what, Mary? I learned a long time ago. If you want to diagnose the patient and find what's wrong with them, ask the patient. Exactly. And and uh, I, I never really forgot that. So so I learned from a very young age to be vocal in expressing what's wrong. And a lot of times I will write down things 
and then put it aside somewhere so when I go to the doctors, I have my little list of things that I can ask about or a little list of symptoms because, you know, the worst thing in the world, you have a doctor's appointment and then walk out and say, oh, why didn't I ask about this? Why didn't I tell them about that? Well, you know what I've implemented in our office, Joanne? I don't remember if you've seen it is we don't use tiny little cards for appointments anymore. We use the big postcard size, so it's easier to read, of course. But on the back side, I insist on having a section with lines so that people can write down their questions. So when they come in, they have a place they've been going to to write it down so they don't forget. What a great idea. The the biggest challenge that uh, we face uh, in our office such setup is, or even in a hospital, as a specialist, that uh, we see patients coming from a doctor's office and for a test, suppose, or for a stress test. And we ask them, uh, Mr. and so-and-so, why are you here today? Well, my doctor says so. That's their answer, why are you having this test? Uh, which, to me, yeah, it, that's the, they should be asking the, the doctor, saying, why am I going for this test? So they have the knowledge. So when the results come out, then they can understand why the test was done and why, what the results means for that test. Second common issue that we see in office is what medications you're taking. They say, well, I take a blue pill, I take a red pill, I take this one, and maybe at one in this bedtime. So the knowledge of medications, which is the key of managing somebody, uh, by a doctor or any professional medical person is to know exactly what you're taking, name of the pill or the name of the medication, and what your strength is. Because each pill has multiple strengths, say 5 milligram, 10 milligram, 1 gram, whatever. If you don't know, the doctor cannot make a decision on the visit day that can we increase the pill, can we reduce the strength of that same pill because your medical condition changes as you go through checkups. That's why you go to doctors to see what what do I do. Ask questions. My my father was terribly allergic to penicillin, ampicillin, anything like that. And he, when he had Alzheimer's, he of course couldn't speak up mm-hmm. for himself. So my mother was in one day, and they were putting an IV up for my father, and she said, "What's in there?" And she said, the nurse said, ampicillin. She said, you can't put that in my husband. He's allergic to ampicillin. And the nurse said, well, that's the doctor's orders. My mother got in front of her and said, you are not putting that in my husband's arm. Did you hear me? My husband is allergic to ampicillin. Get out of this room. Find the doctor. Yeah, you have to have an advocate. Obviously, you guys did not read his chart. So... You have to con- you have to know your medications. Mm-hmm. You have to know you what's going on. You need to know the on. details. Yes, and you need you, to you, know the exact details of medication. Because it's let's big. let's put it this way. You know, the bottom line is, it's just like a computer. The computer is only as smart as the person who's programming it. It's the same thing. Your doctor is only as knowledgeable as the information you give him each time you go there. And yes, and it. also if you notice that nowadays with various uh, uh, different doctors have been seeing the one patient. So you may be seen by five doctors, if not uh, more, in each office and each doctor may 
give you different medications, different tests, different prescriptions. That, again, needs to be properly coordinated. I just had a recent situation a couple of days ago. Went for a test uh, last Monday, and um, the nurse said to me, have your medication changed? I said, no. And uh, she said, okay. She said, uh, um, well, then I'm just going to, like, not worry about it. And I looked at her. I said, isn't that your job? She said, but there's a lot of them here. I said, isn't that your job to check all those medications with me, make sure I'm either still taking them or whether I haven't taken them? And she just went, <sighs> and, of course, then she ended up asking me, going through the whole list with me. But she really didn't want to bother going through the list with me. But she said, yeah. there's a lot here because of all the supplements that I take and everything. I said, it's very important that you check all that stuff. How would you feel if one of the things that I'm taking would affect the outcome or a reaction to the test I'm having to take? Because as you know, I have a lot of allergies. But she was just going to like pass and just like check everything off and not check everything with me. So you, you have to really be. I you think. have to be your own best advocate when you're being taken care of by anybody in the healthcare field. I don't care what their reputation is. I don't care how good they are. They're all humans, and they don't know everything. And if you don't think you can remember the stuff, uh, and I know you may not want to do this, put all your stuff, clear off your counter or whatever, put it all in a bag, take it with you. Absolutely. We have people that come in with their bags. I, I, I'd remind them. I said, if you don't have a list, bring your pills with you. And I've had people stop and say, all of them? I said, yes, all of them. Doctor needs to know what you're doing. And they get real quiet, and they, then they realize how important it is, and they come in, and then they show me. I brought my bag. I said, congratulations. But it is so important. I still remember one time my husband went to the hospital for an emergency case, and it was a gentleman visiting uh, grandkids for a graduation party last year. And he came in for with chest pain, and um, so he's asking the, the patient, um, what medications are you on? And he looked at his wife, and she went to her purse. And my husband's like, oh, good, they have a list. No, she pulls out his weekly pill box and says, this is what he's taking. And he goes, no, ma'am, I need to know the names of the pills that are in there. Well, I have no idea. And in order to get the information, it would have taken a week because he lives in Texas. So people just do not understand or they haven't been taught, I would say. It's not that they don't understand. They just don't know the importance of knowing what medication you're taking it, what you're taking and why you're taking, and if you should expect any side effects. I know, I still know that in the office I hear my husband telling patients, I'm going to give you a sample. I want you to try it just for a week so that we know that you don't get any side effects or anything, and this is what you should expect. And if you see this, 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 then you have to call me and let me know so we can make changes. So he walks everybody through that initial phase of a new medication. And he's a stickler on making sure he knows what they're taking. That's very important. Very important. So I think we cleared up all these questions today. Do you have anything more, Sunita? I don't believe so, no. We're going to capture his attention again when we can uh, to bring him back on the show. Um, but uh, I think he did a pretty decent job of covering the test and standard that he uh, commonly uses. Uh, there's more information that we'll be covering on future shows. You know, I, I have to tell you that uh, 
and we get a chuckle out of this, my family. I have dubbed uh, Dr. Panda, who's my cardiologist, a cardiologist who cares. And uh, they, uh, the, uh, my family's like, why would you say that? I said, takes the time to explain everything to you. It's not like, you know, and, and, and sometimes I would say, do you understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he <laughs> does. He asks people, do you understand? Because if you don't get that, if you don't get that simple question answered, you don't know if you reach them at the level you need to, uh, you know, to make sure that they understand everything. Well, my my biggest uh, concern is nowadays the medicine is moving so fast, and so many tests and so many procedures are being done that the patient is getting lost in the middle. In the sense, they are they have been told to do this, to do that, and many times it's the uh, many times it's a physician assistant, and the physician uh, nurse practitioners are involved in taking care of patients besides the physician himself or herself. That uh, is overwhelming for the patients to really know what's going on and what they're supposed to expect and do. So I think it's uh, especially if somebody's sick in the sense of multiple conditions. And if you go uh, into an office, yeah. doctor, where where especially if you're you're with a in a network like Allegheny mm-hmm. or or UPMC, um, you walk in first the nurse sees you, you tell the nurse everything. Then the physician's assistant comes mm-hmm. in and you tell the physician's assistant everything. And then the doctor comes in and even though the physician's assistant has, has briefed him, he's asking you a lot of the same questions. So it's really important that you give the proper information. Yeah, you get the right information and when you're leaving the office <laughs> that you have the right information as well as questions answered. So you are, you can focus on them when you go home. Okay, so Sunita, you, you want to talk about your sponsor. Yes, um, today's show is um, brought to you by... The biophotonic scanner, which is a piece of another lovely test we have available to people that is not something that um, Dr. Penn puts into the medical realm, but in the, what would you call it, prevention, Santosh? Prevention and nutritional side, which is a, a whole division that we're adding to his practice. Um, and it's technically something that te- checks you for your antioxidant levels. And that's a very confusing topic to a lot of people. So, Santosh, what do you call it? Came up with a new name for oh, it? Inflammation test. Yeah, because you know, he says that all uh, diseases start with inflammation in the body, and if you can target the inflammation and get it down, then he, he can retire. <laughs> I can put him out of business. Um, so anyway, we have this lovely non-invasive, non-poking test in the office, and if you call 412-367-9104 and say that you want to get your inflammation levels checked or your antioxidant levels, they'll give you an appointment with me. And it's a test that normally runs $50, and because you are a listener of Mrs. Cardiology, we we bring it down to the patient cost of $20 a test. And this is not something that's restricted to cardiology patients only. This is for everyone because we want to catch you beforehand. This is prevention and treatment. So we look forward to hearing from you. And, and if, if, it's your, if you're listening from out of state, which we just had uh, two emails from, from listeners out of state, uh, I'm sure if you contact uh, Mrs. Cardiology, she can tell you uh, who in your area is doing that testing. 
Absolutely. Today's show is uh, uh, copyrighted um, to Sunita Pandit, doing business at Miss Cardiology, 2013 to 2014. 15, all rights reserved.